The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. shirt oh i fucking love that oh i miss john i miss john too and that's why i saved this shirt for the very last show and i thought that was fitting tribute to mr clayton because he loved this division he loved he started out covering the seahawks obviously moved on to cover the nfl in one of the best and most modern ways really changed coverage of football so I miss John, too. They just had a celebration of life for him. Uh, the Seahawks did, which was a fantastic gig. I saw these come up, bought one instantly. Within, like, 30 seconds, I'd ordered one. Um, was really happy when I got it and thought, that's the way to open the last one. I didn't even know they – oh, man, I want that shirt, too. That's a great John Clayton shirt. It is an awesome John Clayton shirt. And the coolest thing is the extra proceeds from it go to the MS foundation, which was a cause near and dear to him and his wife's heart. So a little bit of good too. And we are talking a little bit of Seattle sports today too. And John Clayton was all about his Seattle sports. So cheers. Yeah. He started at the coma news tribune, which is local, local to me. So, and created a whole sort of, it's an academic term, but like a whole endowed chair there built that position up to the point where there was travel money so he could go to the owners meeting so he could be on the ground at NFL events all over the country, which was not a normal thing for Tacoma Papers at the time. And then when he got the ESPN gig, he was very obviously protective of that spot that he had created and handpicked his successor. And that was Mike Sando, who now works for The Athletic. Uh, and Mike has great stories about working with and still kind of for john even though he worked for espn clayton called him no less than four times a day for eight straight years including saturdays and sundays that that sounds like john sounds like john doesn't it and uh my favorite clayton story is that he would call people uh this is you know before texts and all that he would call people and say Hey, it's John Clayton. Call me back to everybody, to colleagues, to general managers, to coaches, to whatever, and then just hang up. And because John was so connected, 
everybody knew they had to call him back, right? <laughs> Even if it was just John asking them something, but it, it was the chance that he had a nugget that he was going to share with you that you didn't know yet. So everybody had to call him back. And it's, it's a fascinating way of doing business, but uh, there's a great story that goes around the Northwest here that uh, he was in a press conference after he'd gone to ESPN uh, with Mike Holmgren. This is during the Mike Holmgren Seahawks era. Mm-hmm. And somebody asked a question and said, are we going to re-sign this player? And John said, yeah. And Mike was like, uh, John, I, I'm not certain that we're going to do that. And he said, no, Mike, you already have. Oh, he knew it before. He before broke Mike the did. news to Holmgren that they had re-signed a player <laughs> in a press conference. For his own team? Oh, my God. That's yep. hilarious. And there's there's as many of those stories as you want about John Clayton. I never got the chance to meet him. Um, I, I wish I would have legend so happy to buy the shirt happy to wear the shirt on our last day of the podcast series for the summer we're not closing bootleg just done with our largest and best project ever well i broke out a very special bottle tonight to celebrate the fact that we are finally done with this this is uh the, the the pride and joy of my bar back there my only bottle of yamazaki 12 oh the only one i've ever seen in the wild yeah. I had to buy it immediately because I, I never knew when I was going to see it again. It's extremely hard to find, but also one of the finest whiskeys to ever grace this planet. So uh, wow. cheers to John Clayton. Cheers to you. Cheers to everybody who's watched this entire series. Indeed. Uh, final episode. Here we go. Here we go. Ooh. Oh, son of a bitch. Son of a bitch. I got There's... that bottle two years ago and I've drank it three times. There's okay. It's not the first one. I was gonna say, and this is something that we shared in common. So this is if you don't like drinks, skip ahead like two minutes. We'll talk football. I I swear we'll talk football. I have a theory that Irishes, specifically mm-hmm. higher end Irishes, that the first pour out of the bottle has different character than when you go back to it. And I started hatching this theory when we did the red breast at your house, the red breast LaSalle, which is excellent stuff. But the first little cup of that was mm-hmm. like mana. And then I came back to your house, what, eight or nine months later, and I was like, I need to have another. And it was good, but it wasn't as good. Just oxidation, air gets into the bottle, the, the temper of that liquor changes a little bit still great stuff but that first one fresh broken seal was one of the best shots of irish i've ever had in my entire life no joke and the next one was also very good but not the same well you'll be happy to know that after two years the yamazaki damn sure holds up (laughs) still the same as i tasted the first time but uh, that's great anyway we got some football to talk about we got a lot uh, of football is, to talk uh, about. This is going to be a strong finish to this series. Very strong finish. Because it's a strong division. A fascinating division. The NFC West. One of the best divisions in the entire league. One of the hardest divisions to predict in the entire league as a result of that. Great quarterbacks all over the place. Great coaches all over the place. Strong defenses. It's tough. That being said, would not be shocked if 
whoever wins this division ends up winning the entire Super Bowl again because they beat each other up so thoroughly that I almost feel like if you survive the gauntlet, you're set up for success through the rest of the NFC. Because in the NFC North, for instance, not the same quality from top to bottom. In the NFC East, not the same quality from top to bottom. NFC South, there's a couple really good teams with Tampa and the Saints, but the NFC West, with possibly the exception of Seattle, every division game is basically a playoff game. Every single one. And if you can survive in this division, you can survive against anyone. So I think that there is a strong possibility that whoever comes out of this division will at minimum make the NFC Championship game, if not win the whole damn thing. So, hell. We might even see a West versus West Super Bowl because the AFC West is a very similar story. Looking back to 2021 results, as I alluded to, whoever won this division won the Super Bowl. The Rams went 12 and five. Uh, the Cardinals went 11 and six. They were, the, you know, far and away one of the best teams in the NFL in the first 10 weeks or so. They were lined up for the first seed and then fell apart. The Niners were kind of opposite. They started out horrible and then came on strong and made their own championship push as well. By the end of the year, nobody wanted to play anybody in this division because they were all... And that was also when Russell came back in the last couple weeks, too, and they kind of made a late run as well. Nobody wanted to play the NFC West. In the end, Rams emerged victorious, went on their run, won a Super Bowl. And yet, going into this year, A, as we talked about yesterday, the Rams could be better. The Niners, who made a championship run, could be better. And the Cardinals... As weird as they are as a franchise, and holy shit, they are weird, there's still a lot of talent there as well. And if they could just stay healthy for once, which they're the Cardinals, so they probably won't, but let's just say they stay healthy, they also can be better. And that was an 11-win team last year. So that's all to say, this division was already top three in the NFL, indisputably, and yet there's at least three teams right now that you can make a solid argument that they're going all the way. I can't recall the last time I saw a division this strong that has a ring in it still get better the next year. It's pretty wild. It's a tough trick to top. One of the few divisions that had three playoff teams. Is it the only division that had three playoff teams? Last year... uh... Bengals, Steelers, that was two for the North. Yeah, there, there's lots of twos, but three is a tough trick to turn. I mean, so having three teams go, and I feel like one thing we were remiss that we missed in the Cardinals episode that we can't get out of this episode without saying is they were the ultimate road warriors, eight and one on the road. Speaking of weird teams, that is legitimately ridiculous. They're I don't remember a road mark that good in the NFL for a bit. Eight and one is dominating on the road. Obviously not quite as solid at home, three and five. But that is a heck of a way to run a railroad. Like we're just going to leave every week and come home with a win. Who knows if we're playing here? I don't know. Chances aren't that great that we're going to get the W. But eight and one is a mark to be celebrated and three playoff teams out of a four team division is also something to be celebrated. Now looking at uh, free agency additions for these teams, which is a big reason why we think that they could all legitimately be better than they were last year, believe it or not. 
looking at free agency additions, just top level big names that each team brought in. If you want full breakdowns for what they did in free agency, you can go watch the individual, uh, you know, kind of deep dive episodes where we go through cap situations and free agency strategies, all that nonsense. Top line cliff notes for this. Noah Fant, Austin Blythe, Drew Locke were brought in, uh, in partly for the uh, Russell Wilson trade, Noah Fant especially. Uh, Shelby Harris uh, was also part of that Russell Wilson trade. He's going to be a starting interior defensive line for, uh, lineman for them, excuse me, and a very good one at that. And then they also got Echenna Nwosu as well to likely start at Sam linebacker while Boye Mafe learns the ropes. But hey, you could probably put both of them on the field at the same time on third downs and have a pretty nasty rotation there as well. For the Niners, they brought in nobody on offense because, quite frankly, they didn't need to. Uh, Their offense was already pretty damn good. On defense, they kind of stocked up a little bit, uh, brought in Charvarius Ward to be their new number one corner. So far, he's had a very good camp. And uh, because DJ Jones left and got $10 million in free agency, had to restock the cupboard on the interior defensive line. So they also brought in Hassan Ridgeway for literally less than 20% of the cost. So... Pretty good value for them. The Cardinals, meanwhile, traded a first-round pick for Marquise Brown. Uh, still not super big on that move for a variety of reasons, but it is what it is. What's done is done. They felt like they needed a speed slot, and he fits the bill for that. Uh, Daryl Williams, they also added for a very deep running back room. Not sure if he's going to be RB2 or RB3. It depends on if you, too, believe that Eno Benjamin is uh, the second coming of Christ, which, according to camp reports, he is. Will Hernandez, they also brought in to bolster the offensive line. He basically just switched spots with Mac Garcia, Max Garcia, I should say, who went to the Giants and Hernandez went to the Cardinals, and they both make $1.8 million, but whatever. Like we Neither said, here nor there. Cardinals are weird, man. <laughs> Cardinals are weird. Uh, they did not bring anybody in on defense, at least no big names on defense, because they, they didn't really need to. They have, uh, they have quite a few talented players on defense that they supplemented with the draft as well. And then the Rams, because they have infinite money and the concept of the cap is meaningless to them, brought in Allen Robinson for $15 million a year, Bobby Wagner for $10 million a year, and Troy Hill for, uh, I think it was like $4.5 million, if I recall yeah. correctly. So they did have to let some guys go. You know, Von Miller is now in Buffalo, for instance. Sebastian Joseph Day is a charger. But overall, the amount of talent that either they retained from their own core, you know, paying Cooper Cup, paying Matthew Stafford, paying Aaron Donald – and the talent they brought in from other teams, Allen Robinson, Wagner, and Hill, pretty much outweighed their losses in free agency anyway. So believe it or not, the Rams just won a Super Bowl, and on paper, they're better. The Niners made a deep playoff run. On paper, they're better. The Seahawks lost their starting quarterback, but in terms of the pieces they got back for Russell Wilson and what Mm -hmm. they did to build for their future, they should be better in due time. And the Cardinals, again, they're they're kind of weird, but they did fill some holes both in free agency and the draft and theoretically could be better as well. This division is an arms race through and through, and it's, it's going to be tough for anybody to get out of this division with 12 wins. I'll just say that. My lukewarm take is that while we concentrate on the top three, which we've established so far, the Seahawks have a decent chance to be good spoilers throughout this year they have the chance to be a tough out 
They have a chance to surprise some people on off weeks when they think, ah, oh, it's just the Seahawks. They don't have Russ anymore. We're going to take them. They've got enough talent arrayed that they are not going to be awful, right? A lot of people I see predicting the Seahawks three wins or four wins, you know, mm. in now it's not going to happen with the home field advantage they have. I understand they're going to struggle at quarterback and they're not going to have Russ making that kind of magic. When we get down to our elevator speeches, there's a really interesting one for the Seahawks, and it's a different question than a lot of people are asking. So I want to ask it. We'll get there. But in terms of what they got back for Russell Wilson, they had one of the best drafts in the NFL bar none we highlighted them in our best drafts episode right after the draft occurred and they have loaded up for the future but the future might be now in terms of giving people much tougher games than they expect so seattle on offense brought in charles cross kenneth walker and abraham lucas so bookend tackles and presumably a new starting rusher he may not start this year but by next year he is probably going to be the lead back they brought penny back after his absolute tear through the last six weeks of last season which was remarkable so if he doesn't hold up or gets hurt no problem you got kenneth walker the third there ready to just take over and keep producing on defense they didn't slow down either they got boy mafe Kobe Bryant, the corner from Cincinnati, and Tariq Woolen, the absolute freak from UTSA, who plays corner, could play safety, is 6'3", almost 6'4", and runs in the 4'2s, like, length <laughs> for days. Hold on. Say that again. Yeah. <laughs> for people who don't know who Tariq Woolen is. So, Tariq yeah. Woolen, cornerback out of UTSA, University of Texas, San Antonio. He is a roadrunner, one of my favorite mascots in the CFB, by the way. He is an alien in terms of his athletic profile he's almost 6'4 and he runs in the four twos legit and he's not a track star he's not some spindly guy that doesn't like contact he likes press man he likes tackling he likes shooting in on corner blitzes very rare combination needs some more experience he's new to the position but talk about growth potential the idea that you could start eventually Tariq Woolen and Kobe Bryant at corner for this defense with Sean Desai coaching them. Oh, look out. So I, I really want, I don't know what Richard Sherman's relationship is with the Hawks at this point, but if they could just get Sherm like in a room with this kid <laughs> and just teach him, I, I mean, this, there is literally no limit on what he can do. I'm not sure he hasn't been there. Because their relationship is decent, and he Sherm lives locally. I mean, Sherm mm-hmm. lives like in the town where I ride mountain bikes, not that far away, like fifteen minutes away from here. So he's still really close to the VMAC, the Seahawks practice center, and and you know he's working for Amazon this year on the Thursday night pregame show. Um, he's always a voice that I've been looking forward to whenever he was done playing sharing a lot of his opinions and expertise because he's an extremely smart guy well-spoken and he has very he has a great take on things he has a great filter and his eye is very good i i wouldn't bet against the fact that he's already been hanging out with both kobe bryant and Tariq Willen. 
I would imagine the team would facilitate that because we talked about it in the Seahawks episode earlier this week. The Seahawks really is family. If they're going to bring Aaron Curry back into the fold years <laughs> later to be a coach, you can bet Sherm and Tariq and Kobe Bryant are going to be around a table uh, watching film in the not-too-distant future, and that's going to be a tremendous asset for both Kobe and Tariq. But great, great draft. The Seahawks did very well with the capital they got back from what we both think was an inevitable trade of Russell Wilson. John Schneider's got his fastball back. He he was he was struggling a bit, had some arm troubles, and came out throwing heat during this draft. So great setup for the Seahawks, if not this year, certainly in the near future. San Francisco on offense gets Danny Gray, the wide receiver from SMU, and Spencer Burford, who is Tariq Woolen's teammate at UTSA, a very large gentleman who plays tackle and is athletically gifted as well has a crazy ras score might play guard might play tackle and then on defense they get drake jackson again athletically no limit to what he can do the edge rusher from usc it's whether or not they can harness him and it's a good bet they can because they've got chris kasurik who's their very talented defensive line coach arizona on offense gets trey mcbride the best two-way tight end in this draft and Keontae Ingram one of your favorites the running back from USC on defense one of both of our favorites Cameron Thomas the edge from San Diego State and MyJ Sanders the edge from Cincinnati so they reload a little bit through the draft not necessarily besides Thomas big contributors for this year McBride is TE2 Keontae Ingram is buried in that very good running back room MyJ Sanders is either you know second string or third string depending on which preseason depth chart you believe but loading for the future all very talented players that can help them restock that roster and then the rams do what the rams do which is trade away their high picks and reload with depth and contributors through the draft on offense they get logan bruss the guard from the big 10 and kyron williams the sort of all everything back for notre dame on defense Jacoby durant from south Carolina State, Quentin Lake, the safety from UCLA, and Darion Kendrick, the sort of forgotten corner from the Georgia mm-hmm. defense, who is way better and already surprising during camp. Really positive initial reports out of Rams camp about how good Darion Kendrick is. So different drafts for each of these teams, but really good drafts given their relative positions within the division. Yeah, and I think in terms of setting themselves up for the future, the best draft here was Seattle, which I know we're not used to saying that. Uh, but they they really did have a phenomenal draft for the future, and hopefully it's helping to build a, a good supporting cast to, if Drew Locke doesn't work out, they're going to be in decent position to you know maybe take somebody this year, whether it's stroud or young or levis or whoever like i I really do think that building the offensive line you know keeping their depth on defense because this was an underrated defense in my opinion like they were they were pretty stingy um towards the end there um and you know increasing the depth there with mafe and bran and woolen and all them but uh, really it's if you get if you get walker and he ends up being what we think he is and then you get book in tackles with cross and lucas and then you already have good receivers and plus, you just traded for Fant as well. Whatever quarterback you put in there, if Locke doesn't work out, I feel pretty good about them working out. So they did a great job for building for the future. And in 2024, we could be having a very positive discussion 
about the Seahawks potentially being back on top here. In terms of the other teams in the division, I felt like they were more building for right now. You know, Trey McBride, believe it or not, was a big need for Arizona because they are trying to, even though they're an air raid, I use the term loosely now, air raid team, you know, Kingsbury was an air raid coach and and everything like that. They actually have one of the best, most creative run games in the league. But in order to make it work, they do need tight ends that can block. Trey McBride is going to be a big unlock for them, especially if they want to go into 12 personnel because Hopkins is suspended. Hollywood, I guess we'll find out. But either way, they could be thin at receiver in the first part of the year. So maybe they're going to run a lot of 12 personnel. And you get a guy like Trey McBride who can run block his ass off. That's going to be an important piece for them, for a team that wants to be able to run the ball and be balanced and not just be Kyler throwing speed outs all day. And then uh, Keontae Ingram, love him as a running back, but it is a pretty crowded running back room. But I think that you can start games with Keontae Ingram and be totally fine. That's how high I am on him. Cameron Thomas, they had to replenish edge depth because they lost Chandler, lost Chandler Jones. Him and MyJ Sanders are going to be really, really fun to watch as a young edge rush duo. They're probably going to be the second wave because they do have a couple starters ahead of them right now, but they're going to be pretty effective as far as rookies go. Like their snaps or their um, pressures per snap rate in college, especially for Cam Thomas, were pretty outrageous. So I think the Cardinals are more building for right now, and they did really well. The Niners taking Burford, who's probably going to start early because they're pretty thin on the interior offensive line. Drake Jackson, probably going to get a lot of snaps early because they're running thin at edge. They're going to need him to contribute. And Danny Gray, I also think, will probably get a bunch of snaps this year as a rookie too. Those are all right now picks. And then for the Rams, again, none of these guys are going to start, but they're very thin behind their top layer. So I also wouldn't be shocked if they get a bunch of snaps just as uh, insulation against injury because the Rams are also a team that tends to struggle with injury themselves. So Seahawks building for 2024. The rest are building to go after a ring right now. And I think all of their drafts made sense for those purposes. Yeah, I think Bruss probably actually starts for the Rams. He's penciled in at right guard right now. Is he? They, he is. They seem high on him and they have had success importing like players i think like rob haverstein like they they like that that's their type on offensive line he's penciled in there right now whether or not that holds up through preseason whether or not that holds up through first contact in the regular season that's a different thing and it's not about that it's not like the rams draft success hinges on whether or not logan bruss is the starter week one that's not the gig that's not how the rams draft i'm just surprised because i was a really big fan of the bobby evans pick and i thought this would be his year to slide in but i guess not They've got him right behind. So it's most likely a camp battle, and we could see either player start, and neither of those things would be bad. And that's the beauty of Les Snead's approach is he's got two guys that can play there, and that's okay at guard. It's not okay at quarterback. It's okay at guard. (laughs) All right, uh, let's talk about storylines for each team. This is kind of the main narrative through line for each team. We'll go in reverse order. The one big storyline we're watching for the Rams, the obvious one. Can they repeat? It's a very hard thing to do in the NFL. Very few teams ever can go back-to-back. Even Tom Brady struggled to go back-to-back. I think he only did it once 
early on in his career. And that's a guy who's been to, I don't know, what, half the Super Bowls <laughs> in the last All 20 the years? All the Super Bowls. Yeah. So repeating is really, really hard to do. Yeah. Secondary storyline to watch that just popped up today. Uh, this goes live in like two weeks, so maybe we'll have some sort of answer on it by the time it goes live. But will Stafford's elbow hold up? Because that tendon, the word tendonitis was thrown out there, which worries me a lot. It really does. Because I, I have tendonitis myself, and I have nerve issues myself. And anytime I think of constant and consistent elbow pain and, you know, fingers moving against my will because nerves are firing for no reason, it gives me pause. So as a fellow tendonitis sufferer myself, I, I heard that word today and was like, well, that's not good. <laughs> so, no, that's not good. Will he hold up? Can they make another run? And will they be able to be one of the few teams ever to go back to back? Yeah, it's about what we talked about yesterday in the Rams episode. How does McVay stay ahead of the curve? He has been, certainly in the last two years, very consistent in his approach, which is almost constant innovation and change and not, hey, that worked last year, so we're going to keep it this year. It's almost like that worked last year, so people know what it is, so get rid of it. We're going to try something else. We're going to be just consistently and rigorously like tearing things down and adding new things so that we're on the forefront and everybody's chasing us. I think it's a really admirable approach. At some point, it won't work. Right now, it's all coming up roses. They have done well with their strategy of trading away first picks for established talent. They have obviously done well with their game planning in terms of shifting away from tendencies and sets that they used in the year before. They got to the Super Bowl. They have the alchemy right now, and it really is alchemy. It's like art and science welded together. Can they keep that edge, that razor edge that gets you to be the one team of 32 that gets to celebrate and get the ring? It's a very difficult thing to do, but the way McVeigh's trying to get that is not to say, aha, I have it figured out. It's rather to say, nope, I don't have it figured out. We need to come up with a lot of new ideas right now and iterate and adjust more quickly than the other guys and that'll get us back so it's a fascinating way to approach an age-old problem and we'll see if it works out i think it's a similar kind of question for the cardinals Uh, obviously they didn't have the success last year that the rams did quite the opposite the rams almost got stronger as the season went on the or the cardinals got weaker but i do think that the general theme of being able to adjust and make corrections on the fly in the middle of the season and not just do off-season corrections you have to be able to self-scout and make corrections in the middle of the season can the cardinals do that this year to prevent all of these late season collapses that have plagued not just this franchise but even cliff going back to his time at texas tech they have to recognize that by week six last year, people had the book on them. I literally did a 40-minute film room episode on it of here's what they do, here's their tendency, here's a very basic defense that college coaches have played for decades against this kind of shit, going back to you know late 90s TCU when people started using it against them. 
very basic defense. People are going to start doing it against them. The Niners demonstrated doing it against them because D'Amico Ryan's like, oh, this is pretty basic shit. Uh, okay, I guess we're just going to run quarters. And then they did, and it worked. Can the Cardinals self-scout realize that they were entirely too predictable, move DeAndre Hopkins around when he comes back, use more motion, work the middle of the field, for God's sake. I know that Kyler doesn't like to do it, but call some sort of concept that gets him work in the middle of the field and forces him to do it. Because if defenses know that he's not going to, then what reason do they have to not just fucking fly out the window and go buzz underneath everything that's getting thrown at the boundary? So you have to be able to change. You have to be able to adjust. And if they do, they have enough talent to you know, basically pick right up where they left off last year, where they were like eight and one and steamrolling everybody. They can just do that again and keep doing it. They can win 14 games at that pace, but they have to be less predictable. They have to be willing to change. They have to adjust because if they don't, they're just going to keep collapsing. There's no way around it. It's the question with the Cardinals. The one question, how do you avoid the cliff late season collapses? Because, they are a thing. This is not sports talk radio puffing up an idea that doesn't really exist. Go back and look at Cliff Kingsbury's records. He gets to the middle of the season and he does a lot worse than he did building that lead in the early season. He's very good at building the lead in the early season. He gets to the midpoint and it stalls. It gets stale. It gets figured out and he doesn't adjust and he's going to have to. The league doesn't wait. It's not like you said, people only self-scout during the offseason and make changes. They make changes continually. We saw it from the Chiefs, right? And we're talking about best teams or examples of best. The Chiefs were floundering in the first half of last year. They looked like a lost team that was beatable. And they kept working. And they found the keys. And it all came together midseason. And they took off like a dragster and were really tough to catch for the rest of the season. Completely different in the second half than in the first. Cliff is the same in the second half and the first. And people figure it out about midway through. So the results change. That's got to change or Cliff's got to go. Because that's the kind of league it is in the NFL. And if you can't change in the middle... You're never going to win. If you can't be strong in December, if you can't protect your home turf, you're not going to make deep runs into the playoffs. I don't really care what your strategy is. In terms of the middle of the field stuff, that's where the Trey McBride pick really interests me because mm-hmm. that is his bread and butter. He can work down the seam. He's fast enough to do it. He's not fast, but he's fast enough to work down the seam, and he's physical enough to complete the catch there. But he can make hay between the hashes 5 to 15 yards out. And that's not typically an area that Kyler has used a lot. McBride's a reliable target. If they can create some chemistry and some trust, I can see more plays. And McBride is a perfect target for that because he is such a good blocker. It's not You don't know what Trey McBride's going to do play to play because he's good as a two-way tight end. And he can basically put up a shell block and slip off and be open because people will be leaving the middle of the field alone with the Cardinals and Trey McBride is a blocking threat. So you have to take that seriously. They're going to commit a man to it. And if he slips off and Kyler starts to trust him, 
that's a really good option for the Cardinals. We'll see if they use it because, as we said how many times during the episode, they're weird. <laughs> very, very weird team. One of the weirdest teams in the league. All right, Niners. Uh, again, a little bit of an obvious one here. I'm actually going out to camp uh, three days from now uh, to try to answer this question for myself. How fast will Trey Lance progress from, quite frankly, unknown uh, quantity to competent or even good NFL quarterback? Is that going to happen this year since he sat on the bench last year and used that time to, you know, learn the furbage of the offense, learn the nuances of all the receiver positions? Because there's a lot of nuance with Kyle Shanahan receivers. It's the, the hardest positions to learn in this offense are both quarterback and receiver. Um, so how fast can he progress from unknown to ideally the kind of quarterback that they thought they were getting when they took him as high as they did with a top five pick? And can the difference between what we know Jimmy G is to what we think Trey Lance can be, is that what finally will get this team over the hump from NFC Championship or Super Bowl runner-up to finally, at last, Kyle Shanahan actually winning this damn thing? Because he's come so close so many times in the last half decade alone and it's almost like a, you know, always the bridesmaid, never the bride type situation. Like, when is he going to get to be the bride? Hopefully, Trey Lance is the key for that. Talk about knocking on the door. Kyle Shanahan has been a very consistent presence at the front door of the playoffs and even the Super Bowl. One of the reasons you have to believe that he and John Lynch bundled everything up and went for Trey Lance because they believe he has that. He can be that. And there are two levels for Trey Lance. The first is competency. You talked about it. Can he be as good, as consistent as Jimmy G? Because Jimmy G's won a lot of games in San Francisco over the past few years. And it is consistency. It is ability between the 20s. It is the ability to keep drives going. Trey Lance has work to do to get to that level. So all these folks that are like, Trey Lance is going to power the 49ers of the Super Bowl with all these long balls and crazy runs. Yeah, maybe, but he's got to get to that mid-level first. The NFL will force young quarterbacks, are you competent, is the question. It will force them to answer that question first. And if you don't, we saw this a little bit last year with Zach Wilson's rookie year for New York, Look, plays where you roll out and heave at 80 yards are pretty nice, but that's not how you win football games in the NFL until you can do the basics. So that's the first level. Are you a competent, up to the level of competence that Jimmy G showed, NFL quarterback? Once he hits that, can he sprinkle in that extra flavor, that extra sauce, that extra you know gunpowder in the gasoline that really gives them those explosive plays and tips it in the favor of the 49ers. They have to get to the other level first. If not, they're not going to win as many games as they did, and that's going to create a really toxic situation in San Francisco. So it's how fast does he make competency, and then how fast can he be a difference maker after that? Could it happen in this season? It could. That would be really rapid progress if he hits both marks. I would say competency is a good mark for him to hit this year. If they match their win total from last year with Trey Lance taking over, it bodes really well 
for the future of the 49ers if he struggles or is inconsistent to get to that level? Some more question marks going into next year. I don't think it's panic time, but there's still a lot of work to do. And if by the end of the year, last four or five games, he's starting to provide those big explosive chunk plays that they were looking for and missing with Jimmy G, job done, trade was worth it, look out next year. Also, personal storyline for me that I'm following just out of pure ego. <laughs> over, under on receiving yards for Brandon Ayuk this year, 3,000. I'm going to go over. <laughs> Cheers to you, ride or die. Good luck with that. It's my uh, guy, man. It's my yeah, guy. For those of you that didn't watch the Niners episode, we made a, a sort of friendly bet about Debo's receiving production, just pure receiving production versus Brandon Ayuk's pure receiving production. Because Brandon Ayuk, I assume you'd want return yards too if I was counting Debo running production. That would make a fascinating secondary bet. However. You know what? He's too good. They're not going to let him return. Good enough. <laughs> we're just bet on straight up return yards, so we're safe. Um, we're going to see how that works out. Obviously, Brett is heavily invested with Brandon Ayuk's future. I, you know, what gets lost in all this is I actually really like Brandon Ayuk, but I just don't like him as much as you do. So it seems like I don't like it. Hey, I'm the one that's on the hook for comparing him to Devontae Adams. So. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> I need this to work. EJ. You need, need this, this to this work. To... Yes, you do. Uh, all right. Last storyline here. Seattle. With new looks on both offense and defense for the first time in over a decade at this point, will the Hawks be surprise upstarts, cellar dwellers, or somewhere in between? For me personally, I think it depends on how you define cellar dweller because they're going to sure. be last in the division. I'd be willing to bet good money they're going to be last in the division. Will they be a top five pick in the NFL type bad? I draw the line there. I don't think they're going to be quite on. Like, I'm sorry. I watched Jacksonville tonight. They look like a barely functioning high school team. I, I, I know that it's Jacksonville and it's two weeks after camp started. And it's yeah. the Hall of Fame game and no starters were in. I got through the first quarter and I was like, I don't know what the fuck that was, but that was a football. <laughs> uh, I, I struggle to think that Seattle's going to be that. And, and that's like, I, we had a pretty positive episode, all things considered, on the Jaguars. But watching them actually play, they looked like they had never seen a screen pass before on defense. I, I was dumbfounded by that. I don't, see the, I don't see the Seahawks being that bad. I don't see them being anywhere remotely like some of the true league seller dwellers we've seen in the last few years, especially after the draft they had, because they got plenty of good players. They're not going to be good. They're not going to be top five. They are going to be one of those cursed, slightly below average teams that is not going to be in playoff contention, but also not in contention for, you know, one of the top three quarterbacks in the class. They might have to trade up to get one of them. It's a tough spot to be, but I also think that Seahawks fans, at least a lot of them, would prefer to not be a bottom five team in the league because Seahawks, uh, Seahawks fans specifically spent a long time being one of those bottom five teams. They don't want to go back to that. No, they do not. And I will raise my hand personally and say I am more excited about this Seattle season than I have been in some time. 
because there is a lot of change. Now, that comes with a lot of variance, right? It can go up and down. But for the first time in over a decade, we are not going to see the Russ offense, which we knew and loved for a long time, but it had run its course and they weren't going to win the next Super Bowl with that. So now they'll have something else. We'll get to see, I think, a purer version of Shane Waldron's vision. Now, is that a good vision? Is he amazing? We'll see. I don't know, but it'll be different. I'll guarantee you that. And on defense, we don't have a Ken Norton Jr. influence defense, and I am all about that. I am really excited for a modern defense. I am on record as loving Sean Desai and his concepts, his abilities as a teacher. Clint Hurt is a fantastic defensive coordinator, former defensive line coach and outside linebackers coach. He's going to bring some really fun pressure. They've got a lot of young players. Like This is an exciting season to me. I am not hinged on the fact that they win a lot of games i am hinged on the fact that they're going to be exciting they're going to do different things and that's going to be refreshing are they going to lose some of the games that russell won them in the past yes they are just brace for that but this is a team i'm going to see twice within the first three weeks of the nfl season first week of the nfl season i'm seeing the preseason game versus the bears at lumen field and then you and i are going to russia's revenge game when the broncos come to town and i'm looking forward to it in a different way i always enjoy going to seahawks games but i'm like genuinely curious for the on-field product it's not a oh well, russ is going to do his thing and if he does it well enough they'll win and if not and i hope ken norton's defense can hold up it's not that at all and that is extremely refreshing and exciting to me it's just it's new it's for the new. first time in a long time it's just new it might not be better but it's new it's different and new <laughs> equals exciting yes yeah. yes uh all right 2022 division predictions this is interesting because I don't think we've had this in any of the other division predictions so far. Nope. Looking at division MVP, EJ, you went with a defensive player for the first time ever. For the first time ever in this series, and I think it's a fine choice. It's Aaron Donald. If anyone could win it, it's him. And I wrote this episode and kind of put it to bed and i was like ah should i have done that there's a lot of good offensive players and offensive players always win the award and jordan rodriguez who covers the rams came out and said it's got to be so stressful to practice against aaron donald because he blows everything up as a coach as a player you don't get anything done because he disrupts everything and i was like nope done right pick uh if anybody could win an mvp as a defensive player, which is a huge handcuff to start with, it would be Aaron Donald because he is that level player. This is a Hall of Flame, Hall of Flame, Hall of Fame player, Super Bowl champion, dominant, dominant player of his era. I would say the best player in the NFL and stand by that pretty strongly. For me, A, totally understand the argument. If there was ever going to be a defense player to win it, it would be Aaron Donald. But still, at the end of the day, uh, I look at, okay, what what put the Rams over the hump? Because they'd been to a Super Bowl recently, with Aaron Donald, even. Matthew Stafford was what got them over the hump and was a valuable enough piece to go from also ran in the Super Bowl and putting up, what was it, like, 
three points or whatever it was against the Patriots, to having a quarterback completing a no-look pass with the game on the line, one of the ballsiest throws in NFL history, to win the whole damn thing. I think that Matthew Stafford is the most valuable player on the team and the most valuable player in the division, even though Aaron Donald is the best player in the division. So I think there's a very key distinction there between best and valuable. Aaron Donald might be the best defensive player to ever live. And there's a lot of old heads that are, okay, LT, Reggie White. I I get it. I get it. But at this point, it's an argument. And he's only 31. We're not even close to done yet. So Calling me an old head in my very own podcast is a, is a tough, <laughs> tough look. Uh, having watched those players, he is in their category, and that is enough. If you are mentioning somebody in the same breath with Reggie White, with LT, with Bruce, Bruce Smith. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're mentioning somebody in that company, they're worthy, like, or they should be, or you're going to get laughed out of that discussion. Aaron Donald's not getting laughed out of that discussion. The fact that he is in that discussion is enough. Might he be the best? He might. You're talking about the best defensive players in recent NFL history, uh, relatively speaking, to the length of the league. That's... That's a dominant player, but I'll absolutely give you that value is in the eye of the beholder, and the Rams with Donald weren't able to win a Super Bowl, and the Rams with Stafford were. So that is tremendous value. I worry about Stafford's health, not necessarily because of the elbow or the tendonitis, but because of the just accumulation of injuries. Being a Chicago fan, I watched him get the hell beat out of him in Detroit for years and years and years and just keep playing. That stuff adds up. He's in his he's approaching his mid thirties. That's old age in the NFL. And the mileage is pretty great. So there is a serious chance that one of those hits knocks him out this year. I hope not, because the Rams are a hundred percent more fun with Matthew Matthew Stafford flinging the ball. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see at the end of the year who we feel was the most valuable player in this really stacked division. People forget that Brady and Rodgers are anomalies. Like most quarterbacks, when they totally. get to their mid-30s is when they start to have that physical decline. Matthew Stafford might only have a few years left before we start to see, you know, things tail off a little bit physically. He's already got the tendonitis in his elbow. So that that ain't going anywhere. So enjoy him while we can. He's a great quarterback, one of the best of his generation. Thank God he got a Super Bowl ring on a good team because I was really worried for a long time that he was going to be, you know, another Detroit the, quarterback. The what if, the classic Detroit yeah. what if, you know, yeah. Megatron, Sue, all them, you know. Well, actually, Barry. I think Sue got, Sue got his ring. Barry, yeah. Sue got his ring also, I think, in Tampa, right? He was there yeah. for that. So, again, how many Detroit legends have to go somewhere else to win a fucking ring? It's it's aggravating. It's aggravating. Yes. But uh, that's mostly, also probably the best Mostly transition. for Lions fans. <laughs> mostly. Well, yes. I'd say almost centrally for Lions fans. Um, that's a, probably the best transition we're going to ever have to picking defensive player of the year, where obviously both of us went Aaron Donald. Even though you went Donald for MVP, you kind of you kind of have to go Donald for defensive player of the year. And if you choose anybody else, you're just wrong. So 
for all the reasons we already talked about, he's the automatic defensive player. Of the yeah, that's, that's chalk at this point. Extremely chalk. And it's been chalk for, I don't know, five years now. Uh, offensive player of the year. We differ a little bit. You went with Cooper Cup. I, I don't even know if I would call it chalk because there are a lot of great offensive players in this division. But if you were going to try to get odds on a skill position player being offensive player of the year, Cooper Cup's probably the best odds you're going to get. For me, because I am a dedicated, hardcore, died-in-the-wool Brandon Ayuk propagandist, I have to go with my guy, Brandon Ayuk. I think that he is going to be... Now, stay with me, EJ. Don't faint. I think he's going to be the most productive receiver in this division this year. I know that he's teammates with Debo. I know that he shares the division with Cooper Cup and with Allen Robinson. I get it. He's also, in terms of my fantasy rankings, he's ranked behind those guys. Because I know that you can get him in the fifth round and the other guys you're going to have to spend top two round picks on. But when I look at Brandon Ayuk, the player, the skill set, the, the dynamism that he brings, not just as a yak threat like Debo, but also as a downfield, you know, deep ball artist, a, a sideline artist, a red zone monster. It's going to sound weird to say, but he's actually more versatile as a receiver than Debo. Now, Debo, you can line up in the backfield and give him carries and all that fun stuff. And I wouldn't necessarily do that with Ayuk, but in terms of just all the stuff that you expect a wide receiver to do, Brandon Ayuk has a better receiver skill set than Debo. I love Debo. He's amazing. He earned every penny of his, of his extension. Brandon Ayuk, as just a receiving talent, in my opinion, has a higher ceiling. I also think he has a higher ceiling than Cooper Cup. I also think he has a higher ceiling than Allen Robinson. He is, in terms of potential, a top five receiver in this league on potential. I don't say that lightly. He can be up there with Devontae and Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson and Stephon Diggs. He has the skill set to be up there with them. And I think if you look at the reason why he started off so slow last year and you learn, and Kyle Shanahan gave a very lengthy answer about this in terms of how COVID impacted his rookie year and his preparation for year two, he showed up to camp out of shape in year two. He didn't know what a proper NFL offseason was supposed to look like in terms of training. And so he showed up and immediately went in the doghouse because Shanahan's like, what the fuck have you been doing all summer? And the answer was nothing. And so he didn't even really get in shape and get ready to go until the second half of last year when he exploded and outproduced Debo. He did. He outproduced Debo as a receiver in the second half of the year when he finally got up to speed and got out of the doghouse. He put his head down and he worked. He realized he messed up, got back in Shanahan's good graces, and became the number one receiver on the team. Going into this year, he treated the offseason with the seriousness that it deserves. He showed up to camp and immediately started dominating just like he did in the end of last year. So... I know that it sounds crazy, but Brandon Ayuk is going to be the most productive receiver in this division. He's going to be the offensive player of the year in this division. And ultimately, I believe in my core, he's going to be one of the five most productive receivers in the entire league. 
You know what happens to the propagandists when the regime falls? <laughs> They're going all the way this year, EJ. We're not going anywhere. <laughs> they get tarred and feathered. Or in your case, I have Tyler cook up some of the hottest freaking wings he can physically make and burn that crap out of your system. So we'll he, see which he way He hates it goes. the Niners, too. Tyler despises. All right, so Ty and I are going to ally to realign your brain if your vision of Ayuk's success does not come true this year so I can save you from a similar fate next year. Okay. Okay, okay. all right, I'll, I'll deal with Tyler on that one, but we should talk about Offensive Rookie of the Year. We actually agreed on this one. Kenneth Walker Jr., he's in place to do it. Is Penny there? Yes, and if Penny goes on a tear and it... It bears saying again what Penny's last six weeks of last year looked like. Because a lot of people, quite frankly, weren't paying attention to the Seahawks in the last six weeks of last last season. It was historic. Like, the bender that guy went on, the heater that that guy went on after being injured and false starts and never really producing anything of value for the Seahawks. Then suddenly, he gets healthy, gets in the lineup, and he starts producing. If he had produced like that for the entire year, he would have been in the running for the top two running backs in the NFL for the season. Like, it was dominance. He was mashing teams consistently six weeks in a row. If he picks up where he left off, like you said, Ayuk picked up where he left off when he came into camp— if Penny picks up where he left off at the end of last season, he's going to be a top or the top running back in the NFL because we all know Pete Carroll likes to run the ball regardless of what Shane Waldron wants to do. Penny's going to get his touches, and if he's being as productive as he was at the end of last year with those touches, we might not see Kenneth Walker at all. <laughs> like Kenneth Walker <laughs> might be a five-carry-a-game a type guy, and he's not going to win Offensive Rookie of the Year like that. If Penny gets hurt again, which is more in line with historical precedent, not at all what we're wishing for, because I would love to see Penny just completely obliterate my expectations and go off, because that would be the most fun. And if you follow bootleg at all, we're all about whatever is most fun. But if he doesn't, and Kenneth Walker is splitting time, I think Kenneth Walker is a better receiving threat and very capable in his own right of turning small touches into big gains. And there's not a ton of rookie offensive threats in this division. If you go back through the four episodes we've done, there's not a lot of great choices. There's some offensive tackles who could be really good. It's tough for them to win the award. There's some receivers who we like, but at best they're probably going to be third receivers if not fourth they're not going to get a ton of touches so in terms of position within their relative teams kenneth walker is the logical choice here um if not the runaway winner walker for me was my rb1 just like he was for you and i think at least so far in camp people are finding out that the whole oh he can't catch passes narrative was uh what's what's the scientific term uh horseshit bullshit (laughs) (laughs) he uh like literally day one of camp i think they were trying to prove a point because they ran him on uh on on like a wheel route up the boundary and they hit him on it like 25 yards down the field and he plucked it no problem and then all the writers were like oh 
he's going to be fine. So yeah. I think, Michigan I think State doesn't throw. Oh, that's what it was. It's not Kenneth. It's Michigan State. Okay, cool. We had, people had the same note about uh, Jonathan Taylor, and then guess mm-hmm. what? He got better at it because when you're actually asked to do something and you practice it in the pros and you hit a jugs machine because you're making a whole bunch of money and you don't have to go to class 40 hours a week and you have time to like actually you know work on your craft and learn to catch a ball – Grown men are able to do that, so it's not it's not that big of a deal. Just because you weren't asked to do something in college doesn't mean that you can't you know catch some balls in the off season and learn how to do it. So I think that narrative was stupid, and I think it's quickly going to be proven false that he is perfectly effective as a receiver. Not to mention he's got ridiculous burst and speed and contact balance and all that kind of stuff. I understand the point about Penny uh, very easily could make it difficult for Walker to, you know, wrestle that job away from him. But at the same time, I see Walker as a better natural talent than Penny. And Penny was, was pretty talented coming out of school himself, but Walker is Walker's different. He's ridiculous. He's different. He's that guy. It's that second move with Walker that is going to win Seahawks fans over. They haven't seen it yet. You know, those fans, <laughs> they will. That, yeah. Those fans that don't watch tape and, and good on you. It's a good lifestyle. Keep it. I can't recommend my own. <laughs> um, but that second move with Kenneth Walker is the one that sells. That's the one that gets him an extra 15 or 20 yards. The first move is good. The second move is just deadly. Uh, defensive rookie of the year. Other side of the ball. More Seahawks representation. Uh, you went with Kobe Bryant, who was on our defensive 10 gems list. Uh, we had him on there because we wanted to highlight the other corner from Cincinnati, who's also a pretty good player in his own right. Getting very positive reception in camp so far, by the way. Decent chance he starts early. You know, based on how he's played so far in camp, he's gotten rave reviews, and he's definitely competing for that starting spot. So uh, I think... If we're just trying to find defensive rookies that A, will get a lot of snaps, and B, <laughs> will be it. good, it's uh, him. Uh, I went with Drake Jackson, who likely will get less snaps than Kobe Bryant overall, but I also think in terms of efficiency on the snaps that he gets as a rotational pass rusher, his pressure per snap rate at USC was disgusting. And I think, uh, you know, the question with him was never talent because he's got really, really long arms. He's got power, he corners, great hips, every tool that you could want in a pass rusher. It's more so about, you know, weight control and, and all of, see the term off field doesn't really fit here, but it's also like not on fields. I don't really know how to qualify it. There was reasons why he slipped to day two. If the Niners keep that in check, and it just becomes about all ball with him, and he's able to just lean on his tools and go win, there's very few tackles in the league that physically can match up with him. So I think that pressure per snap rate, again, assuming everything else works out, he's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal rookie pass rusher and will have just as good a chance as anybody else to be defense rookie of the year. Yeah, when he lights it up, he's very difficult to contain. It's getting him to light it up consistently and getting that light to be a little bit more diverse. It's not that he can't do multiple things. He is not a one-trick pony, but it's about getting him to do those second and third things more often, more consistently, uh, with a little bit more impact. But when he is hot as a pass rusher, 
I'm not going to say he's impossible to contain because nobody's impossible, but he is difficult to keep up with, and he will create pressures, hits, hurry sacks. Um, it's all about how fast that light comes on for him and how quickly he approaches that consistency because, it, look, he landed in a really good spot. He's got a great defensive line coach. He has every opportunity. It is up to him if he comes on early he could be the runaway for this particular award coach of the year in the nfc west uh last year i contended that it was one of kyle shanahan's best coaching jobs i still maintain that and if there was ever a year for them to go from that which was an amazing season by the niners all things considered considering how they started out and where they finished and, and everything that kyle did to get them there which he had a great year himself if they then get over the hump like, I think they have a pretty good, decent chance of doing. Kyle Shanahan's the coach of the year in this division. I understand the default answer is the guy who, you know, just won the Super Bowl. But in terms of projecting team success this year, I'm on the Niner train. Therefore, I got to go with Kyle Shanahan. He has been a phenomenal coach for a very long time. And I think finally, for the first time since Atlanta in 2016, he has a quarterback that is capable of getting him where they want to be. The over the hump thing is key. And if he's able to do it with a rookie quarterback, and I say rookie, not lightly, but in terms of on field, number of snaps, number of defensive looks he has seen in live action, Trey, Trey Lance is a rookie. If Kyle Shanahan can do that with a rookie, he wins the award twice. If they can get over the hump, he will win it for sure. If he does it with a quarterback that played very limited snaps in his true rookie year and even less snaps than anybody else in his class by a fair bit he deserves two of these trophies I don't think that's going to happen because rookie years are tough on quarterbacks defensive coordinators do not pull up because they have fresh meat in front of them they go harder so it's going to be a real challenge. And again, if he if Shanahan's able to do it, he should get two trophies. I'm going to go with McVay because of the relentless innovation. Much like you're on the Niners train, I really like McVay's approach since he sort of turned that corner and said, no, I can't just keep honing and refining what I have. People will catch up. I need to relentlessly innovate and change with rigor every year to be able to stay ahead of the curve i love the approach it's a fascinating study to see if he can maintain that because constant change is a very difficult thing to maintain as humans we like to settle we like to get into a rhythm mcveigh is sort of unnaturally forcing his team out of that on purpose and it's it's brilliant to watch I'm going to go with McVay because he is the guy wearing the crown at the moment. He's got a very talented, we even said possibly a better team this year. I'm not betting against him because he's proved he can stay ahead of the pack. I'm going to count on him to do that this year. That brings us to our last category here, division winner. If it didn't become completely obvious by now, I'm going with the 49ers. I'm a hopelessly optimistic believer in Trey Lance, a completely down bad believer in Brandon Ayuk. I believe in Kyle Shanahan. I believe in D'Amico Ryans. I believe in the run game. I believe in the other skill positions besides Brandon Ayuk. I believe in everything about this team. If there was ever a time 
for them to finally, finally do this, it's now. Because if not now, what the fuck was the point of trading up for Trey Lance in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> oh, you said D'Amico Ryans. You had me at D'Amico Ryans. I really, I love what D'Amico Ryans did with the defense. Kyle is a proven offensive guru. He has done it in many places with many different personnel groupings, many different ways. He continues to do it. It really does hinge on the quarterback. That is the modern NFL. If Stafford is unable to stay healthy and Trey Lance develops at a high rate, this is San Francisco's division, I think, almost walking away. And that's despite the newfound solidarity that Arizona has with Kyler Murray. I I believe that. They have knocked on the door with much less. If they get the quarterback position right, this is San Francisco's division. I'm going with the Rams because I think I've seen Stafford's toughness year after year for almost a decade in the NFC North. The reloading of a Super Bowl team, that's a strange juxtaposition, but adding Allen Robinson, adding Bobby Wagner, who has had rave reviews through early camp, keeping key players like Cooper Cup and Donald happy and satisfied and hungry to go for the next one. They both spoke about how it was just the beginning for them. Yeah, every player says that. These are two of the greats playing right now in the league. Forget the division, forget offense or defense. Cooper Cup and Aaron Donald right now are the some of the best players. I think Aaron Donald is the best player in the league. I'm on record as saying that. Cooper Cup had the best season a wide receiver has had maybe ever last year. He won the Triple Crown. His margin of victory was substantial, and he's not done getting better. This isn't a guy that sounds like he's ready to ride off and in the sunset and retire. He wants to put his head down and go for another one, and he's got a receiving threat across from him now with Allen Robinson that is equal to or greater anyone he's ever had, and I'm one of the biggest Robert Woods stands on the planet. Like Allen Robinson is a better wide receiver than Robert Woods. That's a crazy combination. That's a lot of firepower. I'm going to go with the Rams. The fact that there's not just one, but two teams that you could absolutely flat-faced argue are the best in the conference in the same division, it's going to be a fun year in the NFC West. A lot of these in-division games are going to feel like playoff games. I think Arizona is a threat to be not even just a spoiler, but potentially yeah, get yeah. back up on the horse and be a front runner with the rest of them. Seattle is a threat to be a spoiler because kind of the only thing they're really missing is quarterback at this point. Like they got to They have more talent than people think. They really do. And maybe we're just way more opti optimistic about Seattle than 95% of sports media. I fully accept that's possible and we're just wrong. But at the same time, like how do you look at that roster? and think that they couldn't at least get a couple wins in the division. Like, it's Seattle. Weird shit happens with Seattle. That's kind of what they do. So this division is going to be wild and crazy. Uh, it's, tough to, it's tough to entirely predict it, but I think that's what makes it fun. Regardless, two of these teams are going to be playing in January. The hard part's just finding out which ones. That is it. 
my friend. We did something we thought was folly last year. <laughs> we thought this was going to be easier. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, we were wrong. Uh, but we learned from our mistakes, and it was a hell of a lot of fun. 40 episodes uh, so far to the recording of this. Again, they get recorded a couple of weeks ahead of their release. We have released on the day, barely making it under the wire a few times, but we have released on the day the episode was supposed to be released every time. We have a 100% hit rate, which if you have followed Bootleg from its infancy, would be the most shocking thing about this series. Uh, but we did it. Uh, we would be hugely remiss if we didn't recognize Jay and the editing team who are supporting us. They have done amazing, exemplary work to get us here. We would not be here without them in any way. We would certainly not be on time, but the quality of these episodes wouldn't have been the same. So huge, we're not worthy to Jay and the editing team who have helped us get through this and to you everybody that's consumed all these because our subscribers are up our average hours watched are up um every metric for the channel is up and that's all because of you i mean we made the content but you came to it and responded to it and we can't thank you enough for that it means everything to us more importantly they paid for it because every cent and i mean literally every cent and then some that we've made off doing this series we put right back into paying the editors <laughs> so yeah we uh we were technically in the red on it but at the same time it was so fun to make and it came out so good that i almost <laughs> don't even care it's so uh, weird to be in the red but feel in the black and i feel like <laughs> solidly in the black but if yeah. you you know are an accountant you would not be happy with us so uh, regardless of all that mess, we are extremely proud of this work. We are extremely happy that so many of you have experienced it, come to it, enjoyed it. We're going to keep putting out new stuff. That's a lot of fun. But this one has been a mountain, and, man, we climbed it. Cheers to you. The finest Cheers whiskey in my well. cabinet. I don't know if you already finished your drink or not, but I'm I did. I finished both of them, as a matter of fact, because I not only EJ. Yeah, no, I uh, I had a diver show. What the hell? I had a diver down hiding in there, so that's officially three. If the accountants are counting, oh, um, you going back upstairs is going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to enjoy the hell out of it because guess what? I don't have to do this tomorrow, which is oh, uh, both. It's yes. bittersweet. It's awesome, but it's bittersweet. I I've really enjoyed this entire series end to end if you couldn't tell and it's going to feel great not to do it don't get me wrong but there is going to be a, a place three or four days down the road where i get this little pang of nostalgia and i forget all the pain and i'm like yeah I, something like that would be fun to do again just slap me at that point brett just slap me full disclosure we're going back to one episode a week during the season but it's going to be earlier in the week than you're used to we're going to be recording Depending on the timing because of travel schedules and everything like that, we'll either be recording our weekly Sunday recaps on Sunday night or Monday morning, generally, which means they're going to be out by Tuesday morning instead of Wednesday or sometimes Thursday morning like last season where, you know, you're getting last week's recap on the day that next week starts. We wanted to make it easier on you. So this coming season, every single Tuesday is the absolute latest that you're going to get our weekly recaps and then you know looking ahead to the next week we have our thursday night live streams that we're going to be doing for thursday night football so stay tuned for information on that uh we have some exciting things that potentially could be happening 
for that that we can't talk about yet, but it's fucking nuts. Soon. Very soon, hopefully. Maybe even by the time this comes out, we'll have information on it. But Possibly. Regardless, thank you, everybody, for, for helping to make this possible. Literally and figuratively, we could not financially afford to do it without you guys watching this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we'll be back by the time this posts. We'll be back next week with... Uh, a little bit more of a general season preview, preseason recap, you know, giving updates on everything that's happened in the preseason games and, you know, things that may have shifted since we recorded these individual episodes. So we'll have that next week as of the time of this lands. And uh, until then, see you guys then and uh, have a good week. Happy football season. Love you. It's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah.